Welcome to Cupify This. I'm Sandy Phoenix. And I'm Chris Phoenix. This show is aimed towards understanding your basic human needs, how they influence behaviours, and how the Phoenix Cups framework can help you live a fulfilling life with full cups. So join us as we dive into a world of psychology and philosophy and have a whole lot of fun cupifying the world around us. Did we just make that word up? I think we did, but it's our podcast. Let's do it. Hello and welcome back, Cupify This podcast listeners. It is great to have you and hello, Chris. Oh, g'day. Yeah. <laughs> that was a very Australian. G'day. G'day. G'day from down under. <laughs> Crikey. All right. Oh, hey, that reminds me. We've got a, a an announcement a bit later about where all of our peeps from all over the world can find our book. Mm. Are we going to tell them? Should we do it later or should we do it now? Oh, it's on Amazon now. It is. So people were saying, we live in the US, we live in the UK, we really, really want your book. But first off, we have to pay absorbent postage fees, which we couldn't handle. We couldn't help that. Mm. And the time delays, it was it was getting three weeks before it was getting to people. Mm. Now, people Hashtag are, thanks Australia Post. Yeah. But no, we can't blame them. There has been a pandemic. There's that. Yeah. <laughs> Litigation, but, come yeah. on. <laughs> and also, there, um, there is really good news because it, it is yeah. so easily available now on Amazon, yeah. which is super Amazon, exciting. So it's zero postage fees. Well, mm-hmm. if you've got Prime, it's zero postage fees and it's nearly next day delivery for some places. So that's really, really cool, no matter where in the world you are. Yeah, you probably want to go and order that now because in the future, in three days' time, your future self will thank you for it. Actually, actually, it'll only take three days for peeps around Australia because it tends to take a while for us. But Amazon tends to no, like, no, we're still getting no, we're getting next day. I, do you reckon? I, I did a demo copy and I got it the next day. Oh, well done! And some of mm. you that are used to this same day Amazon business stuff that you get all very used to in other parts of the world, we experience that same wonderful service so that's very exciting so i'd love to hear from you if you've read the book uh we are on whatsapp so do feel free to give us a, a buzz on whatsapp 0733050282 so it is great to hear from people all right the we are going to have a quick chat in this podcast around we talk about this a lot mm. What is our behavior driven by? But we want to look at it from a couple of different angles. And particularly because I've been um, doing a bit more uh, more deliberate study in positive psychology. I don't think I've ever taken my eyes off that space, but uh, I have been doing some tertiary study. You're also doing some tertiary study, which mm-hmm. is very fun, Mr. PhD. So we are now uh, just come across another thought and idea around this and we, we were playing and mulling around with it and we thought, well, let's chat with you peeps about it. Yeah, so we, we you know, even though it's a conversation we have, we we kind of, kind of, we are, I can't even speak today. You're just failing. I think, you know, being the borders back open, we're finally travelling again and giving a lot more workshops. I think I've just used up all my words in the mm. last couple of weeks. So mm. now I've got to get them back again. It's a good chance yeah. of it. You, yeah. you, do, well, you well, don't really have that many a day, not compared to me. Saying? No, not compared to you. No. I don't think anyone has as oh, many yeah, words enough. as Sandy. There's no need yeah. for this. <laughs> okay, so I don't know what you were going to say. It'll come back to you. All right, so uh, if we look at what's our behaviour driven by and if we want to look from a psychology perspective, we would be looking over about sort of four waves of psychology over the last 100 and maybe 50, 160 years. And, uh, you know, it's a new discipline and the waves of psychology really vary in, in how we might answer 
this particular question. And, and they particularly vary from the very first wave of psychology, which was a disease model of psychology, which did inform a whole lot of um, frameworks and, and therapy that is still used today. But of course, we've incorporated new knowledge into this, but there, there is also um, some residual things left over and ideas left over in popular culture and um, you know, dialogue and conversation we have with each other or stories we tell ourselves from this first wave of psychology. And, and that's particularly that suggests that our behaviour is driven by our past, our history, our memory, trauma and pain from our memories. And, so, and particularly if we're looking at this first wave of psychology and maybe some of the 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 fathers of that wave, and I say fathers because it was largely mm. older it's white even men. Made, um, fashionable, isn't it? Too. I'm just thinking now. Just yeah. as you're speaking now, like you think of nearly every single drama on Netflix oh, is driven yeah. by a traumatic back history, oh. which is resulting in a current behavioural movement. Wouldn't that be a fun PhD if you just had to watch Netflix like heaps and heaps and heaps (laughs) (laughs) to do some coding? Mm, I'm getting some ideas. (laughs) So, uh, you know, one of these guys that that come up with some of these ideas and sure, he was an amazing thought leader and uh, has inspired lots and lots of thinking. Uh, Freud. Yeah. Um, we, yeah, we everyone's to, quick. To, well, yeah, go discount him. We are quick favorite. to discount yeah. him because I will say things like he talked a lot about penises and took a lot of cocaine. Mm. But yeah, uh, there you go. Now we just got censored on our podcast. Oh. I'll beat those words. Okay, thank you. Yep. But you don't you know, have to beat penis. It's not a rude word. He is crucial in the step of where we are, though. Absolutely. Yeah. And he also used voices like um, Heidegger, for example. Was it Heidegger that he referenced quite a bit of? Uh, no, mainly uh, well, Schopenhauer and his idea Schopenhauer, of Schopenhauer, yeah. Schopenhauer was his friend. I don't know. These yeah. guys are your friends. Well, yeah. Well, particularly the unconscious mind. But then also Husserl. So Husserl was mentioning how we're always conscious of something. You mm. never just have blank consciousness. You're always conscious of something as well, so... True that. So if we think about how all of that has influenced, yeah, Netflix, popular culture, um, stories we tell ourselves, then it leads to you know, holding on to hot colds really, doesn't it? It leads to this feeling of permanence, like the damage. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I read it in your book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it leads to this feeling of Permanence, like we've got no control over over what we do next yep. because it's driven by what happened to us, yep. right? And each of us have a story that we could tell around what's happened to us that has caused our behaviours mm. or that causes the way we are. We do forget um, that, don't we? That every single one of us has a story. It's mm. one of those things that we, because we got this sort of, this subjectivity that's really crept into our worlds that mm-hmm. we forget that every single one of us has a story, mm. has issues, has problems. But I'm digressing anyway, just because I picked up no, on one I thing think, I heard you say. I think that's important because, yeah. and sometimes. I'm not saying they're not important, what's, yeah. what has happened to us, mm. but we're forgetting that it is part of the human condition, isn't it? That, Absolutely. Mm. And my psych science background has me thinking statistics. You know, yeah. if we look at uh, mental illness or if we look at uh, any sort of um, thing that might have happened to us or people we know um, when it comes to different areas of abuse or different things that could have happened to us in our past by other people usually or by or incidences that have happened like oh I'm gonna I'm trying to tread in a mm, in easier course. waters but yeah. um let's go with it's not discounting no 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 but what yeah. I'm trying to say is like so I'll go with my house fire because that's um it's it's less uh touches less nerves I suppose yeah. so 
that if I were to look at statistically how many people have experienced house fires, yeah. there it's not a story that is just mine. You yeah. know, it's a story shared by so many people. And since that occurred, I'm so aware of house fires in my local community that affect people within my local community, like just my local area. And I always reach out and, you know, give to their um, GoFundMe or whatever Mm. it might be because that was what helped me through is that financial support that I needed uh, more so than than anything. My close friends were really important to me, but when it came to the community, um, that financial support and knowing that people were thinking about us and were reaching out and saying, here, you know, 10 bucks is all I've got, but you know, so um, because of that, it's made me more aware of how often it happens because of how often I'm, you know, transferring yeah. money to GoFundMe's. And I, before it happened to me, I thought that it was a lot less. I thought that it happened to a lot less people. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that's with so many things that are a part of our stories. When we look at statistically, how often does this happen to people? There's actually so many people that share this story. So it, it becomes part of the human experience, really. The things that, that happen to us are a part of the human experience in, in 2022, for example, mm-hmm. this set of humans that are living with us at this time. Yep. Uh, so then uh, there's another thing I wanted to mention, and this is something that I've, I've heard some narratives around recently from People who are relatively close to me, uh, a lot of parent blaming, a lot of, um, and and by yeah, this this can happen in such a way that is, um, it, again holding onto those hot coals and saying, well, I'm like this because of my parents. Yeah. And I'm trying not to laugh here because this is going to sound like a plug, but this is literally the undertone of one of the main themes running through our book. Oh, the yeah. Cubs book is there's a lot holding onto hot coals from you know past experiences with. It is. <laughs> Get it and, now on Amazon. <laughs> and now having raised uh, or been responsible in some way, shape or form for raising seven children, three of my own four stepkids, I am sure that there are things that they could pull out from my parenting since I was 19 years old and started parenting uh, that they could blame me for yeah. in uh, to their therapists in 10 years' time when they're sitting there in the 30-year-old in the therapist's office saying this is... This is what my mother did Um, because it's difficult, uh, you know, splitting your time equally among all your children, working out who needs what and and doing the best you can. But the thing is that parents are doing the best they can with what they've got. No Mm. parents choose to do this badly. And I don't think you realise that till you become a parent yourself and you reach the same age that what Mm. your parents were when Mm -hmm. they had you Mm. and you just, you realise that too. And that's, you know, the more tools that we get as time goes on too, you realise that, yeah. But even when abuse occurs or even when, you know, things really awful happen, uh, I, I do believe that most parents are doing the best they can with what they've got, but they have a lack of skills or they have their own um, things that they're dealing with. And it, it's just this messy, messy cycle. I am not speaking from a position of not uh, – I'm i going to discount that negative there because it's going to sound really weird and convoluted. I am speaking from a position of having some knowledge about some of this stuff and having some per- – I'm speaking from some personal experience around some of this stuff. And uh, I am, I find it's really important for us to think about actually what, what is our behaviour driven by and come back to this question we started with and not and I don't think we'll ever come up with the answer. Of course, if you've listened to all the podcasts to date and I hope you've listened to them in order because episode one of season one is kind of important for you to even know what the heck we're talking about for the rest of the episodes. Oh, but, to answer that, you have to know the primary driver that existed at the beginning of time and that's, yeah, that's yeah, okay. metaphysics. We're not, we're not going to answer that. No, you 
Kate reminded me of that. So uh, what is our behaviour driven by, I guess, that our answer would that at this point in time would be, of course, you've listened to enough podcasts to know that that would be, well, we're driven by five basic human life needs and the will to fill those basic human life needs. But let's keep looking at different theories that either support or negate that. And, of course, um, those theories from that first wave of psychology would actually be uh, that disease model would be not in support of our ideas at this point. Uh, But let's also look at a couple of other ideas. One of them is, and I find this really, really interesting, this idea of homo prospectus, which is the name of Seligman and his colleagues' newest, I think, book, 2016, I think it was published, uh, which suggests that perhaps we were misnamed as Homo sapiens, the wise human, and perhaps we should be called Homo prospectus, uh, so being able to or being driven towards prospecting the future. Mm. And I was... Yeah, that the wise thinking. human. So that's yeah. why a lot of late, particularly the existential philosophers, they they discounted the idea of human rationale. You know, mm. when they were talking about essences, an essence is something that if you discount absolutely everything else, what's left over, what is the essence of something that makes up what it is? And traditionally, you know, the, the Platonic model all through to Descartes, through to um, I guess even Kant was this idea that human rationale is the, the essence of it, that... You know, which is that sapien type thing, but then we're more than just that. I think it's not right. it's not offering enough, yeah. which the, some of the existentialist says too. Is like we may be human rationale in some sense, but if we're human rationale plus what else? We're emotional. We're we're more than that. It's it's mm-hmm. less human rationale is not a dignified enough answer to what it is to be human. Yeah. So this and so this has really got me thinking. I want to read the book, but uh, it's uh, I haven't got to that yet. It's on the long list of books I need to read. Uh, so at this point, I've got the executive summary, and uh, and so really rudimentary beginnings of understandings of what is in the book. But essentially, they talk about um, that our behaviour is actually rather than driven by past history and our memory and um, pain from such memories and you know, the experiences in the past. We're actually driven by anticipating and evaluating future possibilities, Mm. which is the cornerstone of human success. And allegedly, apparently, theoretically. And I am excited by this because if we think about the will to fill, then we can see that, you know, this, this empty part of the cup that is driving us towards the future, that is driving us to make decisions that are prospecting the future. And you, you, this isn't the first time you'd kind of no, heard well, of this well, idea. If, anytime you even use the word will. Mm. So will is, you know, projecting forward. So even the will to life, mm-hmm. that was done in the you know, 1800s. So to survive and reproduce into the future. So that's mm. obviously a future-moving model. Okay. Will to, will to power, which is, you know, self-overcoming or getting, you know, moving forward. That's, again, that's a move towards the future. But Heidegger said it in 1927. Well, he, was, he would have said it much earlier during his lectures, but when he wrote Being in Time in 1927, he came up with something called the care structure. The care structure has three parts, which is the time aspect, essentially. So he says that we're thrown into the world 
So we have this thrownness and this into the world that we're thrown into. So we're thrown into a particular time, a particular culture, mm -hmm. and all these parts make up our facticity mm. and our facticity, essentially the, the facts about us that are true, yes. where we're Help born. Help us with that jargon. Yeah, so yeah. facticity means... Where we're born, you know, the society we grew up in, the family that we grew up in, you okay. know. So like our past facts. Pa our past facts about ourselves are okay. our facticity. So that's the, the past part. But then we're also in this present moment, we're also being in the world. So, but he hyphenates that being in the world because you can't separate yourself from the world that you're in. So the culture that we're in, like right now you're absorbed in your world without ever realizing. So you can't take yourself out of the world and that's the present moment. So the clothes that you're wearing right now, you're not even aware of those, but they're part of your being right now because you're, you're connected with absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. right, I, I could go into this stuff for hours, but I'm trying to really dull it right down, but how we can be in the world. But then also, so we're simultaneously our facticity, uh, our being in the world or being alongside the world, but we're also being ahead of itself, right? Or being ahead of ourselves, essentially. So this is where we're moving towards the future. So all our decisions, all our choices are orientated towards the future. Mm. And so that's the whole care structure. So we're not just our past. We're not just our future. We're not just our present. Like we're, we're made up of the whole of it. Does that make sense? I know. Like that's a two sec. That, this book is the, the most dense book and it's. What has he got in front structure. of us? What have, What are you looking at that one? Who's this it? is just like a most, this is a, um, just a, like a cliff notes version of being in time, but okay. being in time is something He's where I'll read a He's got lots of highlighting and different colors and underlining. for an hour and it's, it's really deep. To yeah. I, um. And, and any philosopher out there right now is just saying, I'm butchering that. And I know I am. <laughs> it's just trying to give a nice grounded. Um, well, since I'm no. also using subjectivity instead of Dasein, which is being along, being in the world, you know, with, again. You're also trying to stop it. You're also trying to simplify it for me because my brain doesn't do this very easily. Uh, so if there's any listeners there struggling to follow along with philosophy, I hear you. We're, we're um, structured by possibilities. Okay. Essentially. Because uh -huh. we can't help but make choices. So this is where so Sartre might make it a little bit easier because he, he kind of misinterpreted Heidegger, but it makes it easier for us that Sartre says, which is being ahead of itself again, moving towards the future, that we're always making choices. We cannot help but make make choices. Like even making even choosing to not make a choice is a choice in itself. Mm. And all choices are, of course, an act of freedom and all freedom is ahead of itself. Okay. Into the future, you know. <laughs> Here he goes again. I'm bringing it back. I, I All that right. Was nice so, yeah, <laughs> sure it was. Right. So, we're constantly making choices yep. towards the future, essentially. So, yep. what you're saying is Heidegger already knew everything. And <laughs> well, you didn't know politics. Okay. Well. <laughs> true. True. He wasn't particularly good at his politics. No. Uh, but we'll stay out of that yeah. murky water. Yes. Uh, so, all right. He, he was certainly ahead of his time here in, what, 1927, did you say? Yeah. Okay, very interesting. So if we are driven towards the future, if we're constantly driven towards these future possibilities, then I'm thinking that what we're actually doing is in those early years is collecting data about the world that's going to help us make informed decisions about the future. That is, and I'm going to use, again, um, I'm trying to steer away from trauma so as to make this a an easy to listen to podcast. But if I use my own experience of the fire, then I could talk about different decisions that I've made 
between mm. na- then and now that have prevented or have um, prospected um, potential pl- times where a fire could happen and negated that where I have been able to use that memory to actually keep me and my family safe moving forward. Yeah. And sometimes that might be completely unnecessary um, planning that my brain does, not realising that, hey, you actually don't need to be alert and vigilant because that open fire over there is actually created by the humans that are sitting around it and calling yeah. it a bonfire. <laughs> um, so it doesn't need to trigger a, a stress response in me. But then that requires the outer cortex of my brain, which is much more evolved. Uh, well, and- again, Heidegger would say that's part of your care story. You care about that. Mm. Like not care as in you love that, care as in it's, it's a part of your world. You're mm. not indifferent to it. so, And it's care from a past experience, the facts mm. about what's happened for future events in, in your current world right now. Because right. you're absorbed in it. You're being in the world. So that fire is still a part of you and your world right now. That you mm-hmm. see. So, yeah, if we're thinking from this idea of homo prospectus coming out of positive psychology, yep. um, which I'll is, of, of course... <laughs> You, keep bringing, you just want to talk about Heidegger all the time. <laughs> everything's about Heidegger all the time. He comes up at the dinner table. He comes up at breakfast. He comes up all the time. Um, I I get, yeah, he's, he's certainly drawn those lines already. Mm. But uh, a positive psychology talks about the what makes for a good life, yeah. um, what makes life worth living. Yeah. And this, this reframe of prospecting the future uh, I think is is really powerful yep. in that if we and if we bring it back to cupifying it because that might be easier yeah because yeah. we've gone off in all sorts yeah. of different theoretical directions but if we bring it back to cupifying it then what is exciting about this is even if we've got empty cups the will to fill up our cups the drive behind our behavior is a drive to meet our needs for the future to ensure our needs are more met than unmet mm-hmm. in the future. Uh, and not just our own, but the people we love and are very connected to. Yeah. So that connection also drives that, um, that, that, you know, we've got this collective idea about the connections that we have with other people. We care about other people's cups yeah. as well. And so um, our behaviours are driven by our own and, and our people we are connected mm. to's needs being met. And we're, we're prospecting the future. We're homo prospectus. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and exactly, because will is, so far, will is the nothing, mm-hmm. you know, like it is it is a, a nothingness right now. It's the action that we take from the will that turns it into something that puts something into the cup. Like we've talked about in the past, the will, that big empty space in the cup is potential. Yeah. And that potential is exciting. And thinking about what we can do about that potential, recognising that we have experienced a negative emotion because the need has become more unmet than it is met if the if the cup has got very empty. Mm-hmm. That negative action reminds us to take action, yep. forces us to take action because human beings will act on negative emotions. Yep. Then we go about making choices and it's those choices that are also really interesting. So we're going to make choices to fill up our cups based on our past experiences and our memories and our knowledge and our wisdom and those choices is what makes us human as well because if we were thinking about what is the behavior driven by of a, um, a busy ant or a worker bee yep. then we would see the behavior being dictated by their biological programming which it now sounds like we are because of the way we're talking but it's not because and now i'm reading off your cliff notes well, of Heidegger. because we could make yeah <clears throat> because we can choose between 
alternatives and we are making those choices. You know, I could choose this or I could choose that. Mm. The worker bee goes towards, all right, got to do this job, got to do this job, got to do this job. Yeah, right. So yeah. it's the choices, it's the possibilities, it's the cup-filling behaviours or cup-emptying behaviours. Yeah. It's the behaviours we choose next, uh, which could be – which are we have so much choice, agency, decision over. Mm. So even though the will in itself, the will to fill the cup, sounds so much like we're, we're not given choices we because we're driven by that mm. need to be met. So if it's our safety cup empty or if it's our freedom cup empty or whatever it might be, suddenly all of our behaviours are going to be driven towards filling that cup up. <clears throat> but what we have is possibility, we have intentionality, we have the ability to make choices and have agency over what we do next. Mm. Empowers the choice. Because mm. it really, uh, well... I keep hating to just go back, but it's like Sartre says that we we are now intentionalities. We are our choices. So he doesn't hate to go back to Sartre. He loves to go back well, to Sartre. Well, the intentionalities, I guess, is just the will. That's the intention there. It's ready for you. The potentialities, mm. but unless you do something with mm. those, unless you make those choices, it doesn't matter what they amount to. It's the choices that you make. And now that sounds dark, but I want to say like those positive choices that we can make to enrich our lives that comes from the will to fill. And I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but in my workshops, uh, let's bring this positivity back. Mm. Maybe it's the way I'm slouching on the bed right now. (laughs) In the workshops, I talk about really honouring that will to fill because it's opportunity, what you can choose to do, right? And it's a great warning system too to let you know your cups are empty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that warning system is super important. And also... I think I've gone off topic. I do that sometimes. Mm. I daydream a little bit while Sandy's talking, figure, and then yeah. I. He doesn't even listen to me. He's not listening. This is the problem. In my head, there's a like a circus bear riding a little bicycle. Stop like it. The Simpsons. That is not true. Is it just because I'm not talking about Heidegger or Sartre, isn't it? Okay, so back to uh, what this means: cupifying Homo prospectus, which is about us um, as human beings being able to anticipate and evaluate future possibilities for the guidance of thought and action, which is just cool to be thinking about, Uh, what are our future possibilities and what are – how do our memories serve us to be able to make future possibilities, to be able to predict the future? Now, even though we might be prospecting for the future and sometimes in that that means attempting to predict the future – Often as human beings with the limitations of our senses and our brain, our predictions of the future can be wrong. Yeah. So we need to have a couple of predictions of the future and we need to be prepared for them to be wrong. Yeah, which, well, again, in my workshop, I got a list. it sounds like I'm selling my workshop now. Mm. Buy the book, buy the workshop. <laughs> but um, in the workshop, we, there's one of the unhelpful thinking styles that we do sometimes is called jumping to conclusions. But mm. when we jump to conclusions in the unhelpful thinking style is we're looking 10 steps ahead of the negative that it could, could occur mm. when we could, you know, change that frame and look at, you know, well, what, what can I do? What, what's the possibilities I can do that are going to enrich my life? Let's finish all this thinking up with a couple of stories maybe that we can come up with that is some examples of how we have used our memories or our past experiences in a way that has helped us to fulfill our will to fill using skill to fill that we learnt from the wisdom of that experience. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I can't help but not think about the, the book we wrote because there's a truth to every story. Well, the best stories are made up of truths. So if anyone who has read the book so far, it's about the guy's been narrated a story while he's in the hospital with his father. But it's in a story about an estrangement with the guy's father. And so growing up, 
let's just get it out there. I didn't really have a connection with my father. Um, moved away quite young. I was seeing him a couple of weeks out of the entire year. And, and in those times, we weren't really connecting at all. So he was a stranger at the time. And, and even still, we were just very, very disconnected, very, very different people. And there was a cultural element to that. There's a historical element to that. And, you know, as a child, you don't really know these things, but you just just didn't realize that he was essentially a, a stranger to me. And when I first came into the world as well, my mother, who was also dealing with a lot of postnatal depression because she was dealing with that marriage as well. And so she couldn't really connect with me either. So growing up, I didn't really have that strong connection to to parents, essentially. So um, left with a little bit of wandering in the world. Now, there was a lot of catharsis when I wrote that book because I got a lot of that stuff out and now buried a lot of that stuff and actually feel great. So I've got a great relationship now with my mother, which is really, really strong. Hi, mum, if you're listening to this. <laughs> Thanks for everything. I do love you, so don't don't feel like this She's is in an, any kind of attack in any kind of way. Mum's done a wonderful job. And my father, is, there's just like a lot of acceptance around he it. He won't be listening to this, don't he, worry. He won't be listening. But no, but regardless, I, again, I you know, I don't put any blame onto him. He, he had his life to live and he did that. He chose that. It was his decisions to make. And... So what was was carrying around for a lot of time, which if you've read the book, again, it sounds like a plug, but it's not because it's not exactly my story. But, you know, you can see the stories in there. There's parallels in there. Um, what I carried around for a lot of time I was able to put to bed. That was just his, you know, that was his story. That was my story. And essentially a lot of that pain that I used to hold on to and feelings of somewhat abandonment, I knew I didn't want that for my children so these past experiences, those past memories, those past hurts, I was able to transcend and build upon those skills to make sure I was a much more caring and attentive parent myself. You know, I could have gone, because of this past, I am how I am now, where I'm going to say, because of the past, I'm choosing to make these decisions now mm. and take ownership of those and move forward. Right, yeah. Yeah, so you gained wisdom from your past experiences mm. and you're using it to fill your cups and the cups of people yeah. that you're connected with and you love. Build those skills around them. Yeah, mm. and so you're a will and to I'm sure build. I'm going to get it wrong. I'm sure I have oh, made mistakes because... Yeah. They'll tell you. They yeah, tell us all the time. They'll let us know. They're teenagers. They let yeah. us know every day we make, whenever yeah. we make a mistake, <laughs> even if we don't see it as a mistake. <laughs> so um, that is a way that you have been able to use your memories, your past experiences in a way to be able to fill up your cups and yep. fill up the cups of people you love. And so our behavior being driven by that prospectus, that moving forward, rather than our behavior being driven by things that occurred to us in the past, I yep. think is a really nice reframe and the one that we are sort of focusing on. In I think this. you articulated that much better than the dribble that I let out. It is, it's, I do it for a living, this reframing stuff. So, so do I sometimes, but it just... In the book, it's good. Again, the book, by now, Amazon. <laughs> it's a good book. So I have a story as well. I'll use an example here as well from my own memories. And I was thinking now, about, let me think of a time where I was felt really embarrassed or really disappointed in myself. Or, um, But I was going with embarrassment because I thought this could be a good thought experiment for you to try at home is where is a time where you've been mildly embarrassed and what have you learnt from that and how where is the proof that you've actually been rather than being just a product of your memory of what actually just happened to you but actually been this idea of homo prospectus prospecting the future continuing to anticipate and evaluate your future possibilities and using this memory as a way to make sure that you were able to fulfill 
your needs or you're able to fulfill what you want to do according to your values. So um, you could do that. You could think of something where you are mildly embarrassed because that's an easy enough um, emotion to deal with Mm. together in a podcast Uh, and also usually comes with good stories, doesn't it? Um, so we, we come up with a few mildly embarrassing stories where I could be talking about like the time that I um, got home from a business meeting and I had a split all the way up the back of my skirt, like right through the bottom, right, like the bottom bit where you could you see everything. There was a lot of staircases I, climbing I that day. I saw it. I think it was still in – Sandy came home with it. I saw it. I still waited an hour to tell her. I was like, do I just let it go? Why would you she, do this to me? She never know. Um, yeah. But then I was like, maybe she wants to know. So I, I had this internal monologue that just went for about an hour. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I decided not to tell you that story because I can't find enough lessons to be learned from it. Um, and I decided not to tell you – Yeah, I decided not to tell you about the other embarrassing story where I went to get my nails done in the middle of Sydney um, before a conference and actually um, went to an establishment that said they do nails but they don't actually do nails. They do other things there. And um, as it turns out, I found out the hard way. So I didn't actually want to tell you that story either, so I'm not telling you that story. Okay, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about the um, very first time I presented publicly. And so at school, I was a, I would have said I'm a terrible public speaker all the way through school. I got really nervous when I had to do an oral presentation. I notoriously bummed out on those because I just could not articulate myself. I would get too stressed out. I'd rely heavily on my palm cards because I couldn't think. Uh, and then at uni, even in my first year or two of uni, whenever I had to even contribute in class I would get so embarrassed and then the first time I was asked to present publicly to um, to my colleagues to 30 of my colleagues about the work I was doing so I didn't have to keep repeating myself and it was all around children's behavior stuff I was very very confident about uh, about articulating normally in one-on-one conversations and the first few times I had to do this I stood there in front of these people and I could feel my heart racing. I could feel the room starting to spin. I could feel the sweaty palms. My mind would start moving into a stress response. So my brain, my smart thinking outer cortex of my brain would start just shutting down, getting ready to fight, flight, freeze, because clearly I was in threat. Uh, and it was, it was like a physical spinning of the room. It was like I was going to pass out. And there was a couple of times where I came really, really close to passing out. Now, if we were the kind of creature that is uh, simply driven by our past history, our memory uh, of our past history, then I would say I am not a public speaker and when I public speak, I pass out. And that would be the end of that, right? But there is so much proof and evidence in the fact that I think that Seligman and his colleagues here, and of course you're going to tell me Heidegger way before him, and and loads of other uh, theorists have this right when we're looking at the fact that we are not just a driven by our past history we are driven by the a prospect of the future we are driven by a will to fill up our needs we are driven by a will to fill our cups um, and meet that potential by actually making choices that align with our values and being continued to be driven towards the future so actually in in, in 20 years later nearly uh, a good 18 years later than those incidences uh, I am actually a very proficient public speaker uh, I no longer nearly pass out on stage I'm, I'm no longer feel nerves or nervousness 
because and that wasn't because it happened like instantly because I decided that was going to happen it happened because I was constantly driven towards my need for mastery which is so huge I was constantly driven to fill up that mastery cup I was driven towards my values probably given to me from you know a large a large part of it from that mastery cup of really wanting for other people to feel um, this kind of self-confidence and this kind of mastery over this particular topic of and at this point in time it was children's behavior and the motivations behind children's behavior and how do we support their well-being in education and care services, which is you know where the roots of where my career started? And through being driven and propelled towards the future, uh, I have you know been able to get to where I am today when it comes to the proficiency of public speaking. So this is, I think, when it comes to our own day-to-day life. If we can, you know, sometimes we can experience negative emotions because of an empty cup uh, that can stick and that sticking um, can be, there's loads of different strategies. We can move beyond that, getting stuck in those emotions. But one of those strategies I think I'm finding really, really useful is to think about actually that memory is serving me to, to be able to fulfill um, my needs to be able to fill up my cups in a more skilled way and prospecting the future. And this brings us to one of the most quoted parts of the book. Mm, yeah, so this just feels like the longest infomercial ever for the Phoenix Cups <laughs> book, but it's it, I swear it's not really. Everything just fits. Our book is like The Simpsons. There's a quote for everything, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so every t- uh, people write into us all the time, which we'd love it. We'd love to hear praise. You know, like I, I love my um, feathers, or you know, no, I, I love, no, honestly though, we really love to. We, we do, know we what do. Helps. Yeah, we do. And um, and we also love to know what doesn't help, uh, so that we yeah. can, so that we can move towards the future in the next book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the lines that a lot of people keep, re- you know, mentioning to us, which is one of their favourites in the book, is where. One of the main characters, he's been, he's in a hospital room and he's, you know, he's telling the story about the painful childhood he has and how he's having trouble letting it go. And Frank, the old man in the bed next to him, who's been listening along, and then he's one who keeps throwing in stories about how he's come over, overcome a difficult past, discovering what the CUPS framework is and how they've helped him. But one of the, this is the ending line of this chapter, which a lot of people refer to. Oh, this lot. is the line that David Cullen reads in the audio book that everybody cries when they yeah. hear David Callan's, uh I don't want to call it a reading. He acts. He this acts this, yeah. So he, well, he is an actor. But when yeah. he did the audio book, he read this passage, and apparently everybody in the studio was in tears, which yeah. is great. So I'm just giving He's you the awesome. sh- the last line. Like he yeah. wrote the whole part, read the whole part, which gave everybody tears. But this yeah. is the very last line in it. Anyway, he says. So this is Frank turning to the character who's just spilled his guts on holding onto this old pain. So he says. To hold on to old pain, son, is to hold on to yesterday. Yesterday no longer exists. What's hurting you is only a memory of that pain. You're not a little boy anymore. Don't let yesterday empty today's cups. Gives me goosebumps every time. Really good place to, to finish up here, I reckon. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Love to hear your thoughts, peeps. Feel free to reach out to us on WhatsApp. I'm going to give you that number again, 0733050282 on WhatsApp. I'll say it because you can't say it properly. I and what <laughs> you were calling it WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Uh, so this I'm is. Right, so I'm getting to change its name. <laughs> This is where we're ending, and we're really, really glad to spend some time with you again. Uh, it was lovely. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Uh, if you have oh. read the book, what helps us more than anything would be a review on Amazon because they, yes, they are so helpful. 
But yeah. thank you so much for listening. Yeah. And we hope to do more of these soon. Catch you all later. Great. Bye. Bye-bye. If you want to know more about the Phoenix Cups, be sure to jump on to phoenixcups.com.au. There you'll find the quiz to help you determine your cups profile, as well as all our resources, including our book, The Phoenix Cups, The Cup Filling Story. And remember to stay connected with us on all the socials. Happy Happy cup cup filling! filling. (laughs) That's so nerdy. So lame.